0: Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsey, from the Movie Proposal podcast. Hopefully you are all listening to that. And we are with our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor.
1: Hello, Josh Lindsay. It's an awesome podcast. I'm listening, so I hope other people are too. Oh, good.
0: And I see behind you, looks like he's kneeling on the ground, business extraordinaire, Hunter Taylor. Hey,
2: everyone. Hello.
0: And, of course, couldn't do it without him, our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, button-pushing guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there.
1: Hey there, Jason.
0: You got the nice camera going again, right?
3: I don't know. This is actually, I had to swap to my laptop because my camera kept zooming in and out for no reason. (laughs) It was great. Stupid camera. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, Christian, I know you have some updates. We have a guest today. Let's jump right in. Hunter is been promoted is that right
1: well that's not exactly right uh <laughs> oh, not okay. in, not in the normandy project sense anyway i'm gonna let hunter give you his update himself
2: well fortunately and unfortunately i will have to be tendering my resignation with the girl who worked for oh. normandy project because the navy got back to me and they drastically moved my timeline to leave for navy ocs uh very soon. So I'll be heading out within the next couple of weeks. No, <clears throat> no, 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 no. Days. <laughs> sure. For, for OPSEC, I'm not uh, going to tell them exactly when. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that,
1: <laughs> probably should
2: have told
0: us you have to part kill part us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that whole question session in pre-podcast, that would have been good to know, but regardless, <laughs> uh, it's a very quick timeline, let's say. And, um, Mom has been crying for 2 days straight and that's um we're not going to dwell on that uh that's going to be a hard thing personally and for Normandy project so uh Hunter we appreciate every single thing that you have done to help us and your spirit will continue thankfully you're in our film and uh we wish you well we know that you will do well um and uh we can't believe you're leaving the army to go to the navy
2: yeah, it is what it is, but I will say I'm very confident with the Normandy Project team. I'm confident with the Documentary First team, the team that we've put together, the different you know, uh, strategies that we are starting to put in place. I'm quite confident that you guys will be able to pull through without me.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell uh, who's going to kind of step in and take your place?
2: So we actually have another soldier from the 101st, Ben Phython, uh, who will be stepping into my shoes. He's also helping Christian start uh, a new company, which she believes will help her continue to make um, films in a much more expedient and efficient fashion. And so Ben Fythen will be kind of taking the reins from me. He's very competent, very qualified, and he's actually a bit more charismatic than I am. So that's good too.
1: Yeah, we'll have him on the podcast uh, when we can. And, you know, everybody can get to know him and we'll, uh, you know, start that new relationship. So uh, he's been with the company now since, uh, I guess, December. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to getting him a little bit more integrated now that Hunter's stepping away.
0: Well, congratulations, Hunter. Very exciting. Uh, How does the Army feel about you going to the Navy?
2: Oh, I haven't asked them yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's still trying to get officially released from the Army. (laughs) That's Uh, true. That's not true at all. I'm I'm teasing.
2: (laughs) There's an issue with me getting my separation papers. um, I'm out of the Army. That's why I have a beer.
1: (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, Hunter, I just drug him in here last minute. He was in the middle of packing. Uh, so he's got to go and he's got a lot of things to do and uh, we'll let you go.
2: All right. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm glad to have been a part of this.
3: All right.
0: Bye, Hunter. Well, Hunter.
1: Bye. All right. We need to
0: like play, uh, you know, uh, what's that song? T- taps. Um, taps. That's little boy <laughs> blue and the man the moon.
1: Yeah. Taps uh, would feel more, more, you know, appropriate to my heart.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit too dramatic. Uh, I'm very well Let's shift her.
0: gears then. We can, yeah, uh, we can move on to.
1: Let's talk about and time
0: brighter. Time. <clears throat> what's, what's going on with the film?
1: Yeah. So we've had a lot of stuff going on. I have a lot to update you on. Um, I think, of course, following up on the uh, news of last podcast that we um, have distribution now through Factory Film Studio, we have had a lot of things to turn in and uh, there's, uh, you know, things to be decided as to when we're going to release. I did get an email today and they're looking uh, at, you know, right at the end of May, 1st of June. Uh, And so I can't wait to hear more about what that looks like. Um, one of the things that we have been working on with Brad Stair, our new podcast producer, is starting a Patreon page. So, if you are listening to this, uh, we would love for you to join us uh, once we get this launched. We hope that'll be launched in the next week or two. Um, and it will be a, a patreon that does help this podcast and but it will also uh, you know help my larger projects, you know, sort of creative uh, endeavors. Uh, in general, so uh, we'll have more information about that. Hunter's been putting together a brand new donation package uh, with, uh, in you know, incredible. Um, challenge coins. I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but uh, yeah, that's progress. We've ordered the coins, so we can't wait for that. We're still just trying to uh, generate some sort of consistent income to be able to pay our bills and pay people. And the latest exciting news is that L'Oreal reached out to us and they are interested in me coming to speak and uh, maybe maybe doing a theatrical screening there. We retained our theatrical rights, so that gives me the ability to-
0: like the oh, shampoo who's company some woman named Lori. yeah or the sh- yeah
1: <laughs> somebody said do you mean Lori L I'm like no L'Oreal <laughs> the the makeup <laughs> company yes so uh, it's a really interesting partnership and it came about because uh I went to high school with this uh girl who then joined uh, our high school Facebook group and we got to know each other and she saw the postings about our awards and works for L'Oreal and she thought I think this would be an amazing uh, tie-in to because it's a French American company, and so we had a call about that yesterday, and they were super excited about our film and the possibilities of sharing that with their audiences. They have offices worldwide, and so it's an incredible opportunity for us. And I'm excited to see what you know what that holds.
0: Never would have saw this coming. Yeah, that's that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Colgate
0: called me the other day. They want to promote my film. Really? The toothpaste company. Okay, that's
1: great. Well, the the thing is, every what I've learned is that uh, every big corporation usually has these little independent groups. And like at Michelin, they were called business resource groups or BRGs. Uh, it's the same thing at L'Oreal. They have another thing that they call them, like tasks or something like that. But what they do is try to create some sort of culture with the people in it based on what they're interested in. So you may have a car group or you may have, you know, what whatever, but in this... And these two companies in particular that I've been associated with, they have veterans groups. And so these veterans groups are always looking to partner with outside stuff. And so this veterans group at L'Oreal wants to bring education, awareness, and advocacy. Those are some of their pillars of their veterans group. And that... Um, that you know, focus really pairs well with our film and it would be veterans that sponsor it. Their veterans group sponsors it, but it does extend the invitation to view the film and learn about uh, these veterans groups and French groups, uh, you know, explains them to the wider L'Oreal community. So it's, it's an exciting opportunity. I can't wait to see what happens. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. So yeah, that's the update for me. Um, Another great thing that's been happening is we've been having first time filmmakers uh, reach out to us that have been uh, helped along by our podcast and asking if they could kind of come on and share their story. So um, Bradley and I think that might be something really fun to do. We had Elise on a while back with Big Teeth Productions and her film and that kind of kicked things off. So uh, that's led us to today.
0: Well, we have a special guest, another first-time filmmaker, as Christian said. Um, why don't we go ahead and bring him on? His name is Scott Holman. Scott, welcome to Documentary First. Hello. Hello,
4: everyone. Hello. Me.
0: Uh, I'm going to share your bio here with everyone. Uh, Scott is from the Northwoods of Wisconsin in the heart of the Great Lakes, Um, the northern culture is fiercely do-it-yourself and he was taught by I like this eccentric parents to defy cultural norms not the house I grew up in but we'll leave that for another day Uh, he created his first (laughs) two documentaries at 17 in a high school film program very cool Uh, he worked for channel 7 news running camera and audio and went to photography school in Minneapolis Uh, During the transition from film to digital, I actually did the same thing. I I had that same problem. We'll talk again about that later. Uh, He lived abroad for seven years in Ecuador and Vietnam, where uh, primarily focused on developing skills to run a boutique documentary production studio. And he and his two friends uh, in Hanoi created an independent production company called Banana Island Films. Great title, great logo, by the way, uh, that he runs to this day. So he's got two feature films that are in the film festival circuit, that which is I think fantastic. Uh, Scott, again, welcome to the podcast.
4: I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for that. Thanks for the intro. So, <laughs>
0: uh, so Scott is also a first-time filmmaker. Got introduced to the the podcast. And I th- let's start with that. How how did you get introduced to documentary first, and and you know, what have you found it to be helpful for you?
4: I listened to podcasts a lot and so I was just on Stitcher and I just did a search for documentaries and I, I probably stream like five to six hours, maybe even longer of podcasts a day while I'm working because I have a day job that's beyond my film job and um, I, I thought, wow, this is perfect. Uh, this is the only thing I could find about starting running the film, running a new film, running to the film festivals and it was incredibly cool to just, you, you're about six months or a year ahead of me in a bunch of different ways. And so I was like, wow. And every single episode, I just learned a ton about um, how, the, how the entire market works, really. And I made it. there's so many mistakes that you've been very open about having made. And I've been making some of those same mistakes. A few of them I got to skip and uh, not make, thanks yeah, to Dr. Universe. first.
1: So happy. I've always wanted to be an Indian guy to sort of see myself as that, <laughs> like, don't do what I did. Let me make it easier for you. So that makes me happy to hear.
4: Yeah, and I just binged it <laughs> one all the way through. So um, yeah, your journey has been incredible.
1: That's pretty great. Thank you very, very much for listening and for reaching out to me. Uh, I love meeting you. I saw your film. This past week, as did Jason. So, we're going to kind of dive in, um, you know, just a little bit about, you know, how you got into filmmaking, you know, what your journey's been like. We're going to talk a little bit about your film, uh, what tools you found helpful, what your film festival run has been like. So, we have a whole bunch of questions for you. Uh, So, I'm going to give the first one, I'm going to pitch it over to Jason. Uh, Jason, why don't you ask him, uh, you know, the first question?
3: All right. Um, so Scott, what led you to become a first time filmmaker? I, I would, I would love to know how, like, I know how Christian stumbled into hers.
4: How did, how did you become a first time filmmaker? Well, there's the bio kind of touched on my background. Um, and I, I kind of done a one the other film that's in film festivals right now. It's I actually haven't submitted to any I tr- I've tried. And then I, I paused to let this one run, but I made what I think is sort of, it's sort of like a, my prototype feature in Vietnam. Um, It's more of like an anthology following musicians and bands that are lot like live musicians there and a music uh, venue that's on a rooftop, a tower in the middle of the city. It's a really amazing place and a bunch of friends and artists made it. So I made that and I got my, got all the skills, I guess you would say to make a film, but what I'd already been kind of prototyping out this feature, which is about also about music and musicians, but in a religion. And um, I've. Yeah, I've I've been working on this idea because it's a really personal story and I wanted to be able to tell it in a really creative way because there's a lot of media out there already and there's nothing quite like what I created. So um, just got ambitious. I actually went to go to film school when I got back to the States in 2017 and I took a couple classes for like one or two classes and realized I'm much more of a do it and learn it Kind of person do it first just rush into it and learn trial by fire so i quit and um just decided to run a crowdfund campaign and build up some capital so i could go shoot and then if i did that i figured i would be able to just cut it over time so that's kind of yeah. my, the rough intro.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that is, uh, you know, everybody's road to their story is different. And some people do go to film school. Some people just like me jump right in and think, ah, how hard can it be? I can figure it out <laughs> or I get some friends who can help me. Uh, there are many, many stories to becoming a storyteller. At, uh, and I do think our experiences kind of lead us there. And just like writers um, write what they know, it's easiest for us, I think, to jump in and tell what we know. Um, or show it. Uh, So we haven't yet talked about uh, the name of your film and what it's about. So why don't you tell us first uh, all of that information?
4: The name of the film is Witness Underground and it's about Jehovah's Witnesses. That it's about a music scene in the Jehovah's Witnesses, essentially, and a community that grew up inside this the culture and they weren't really allowed outside of that culture. And so they kind of had to do everything themselves there's a there's a strong um community bond that they've had together where they they knew other bands and other musicians outside but they weren't really friends with them they had to kind of develop it themselves and just learn how to run and mix audio and um they were they had a lot to rebel against and they didn't necessarily know that i don't even think but um they created music and it was sort of off limits to be able to do that in that culture. You can't really be in a band. You can't really pursue fame and you can't really, um, pursue success of any kind, even financial success is looked down on. So, um, they were pushing on the limits of the culture in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, so the name of your film is Witness Underground, and if you uh, wanted to give us your logline, do you have a logline? It's always so important. If you're a first-time filmmaker, you've got to work out that logline, and you got to be ready to know it right away. So when somebody says, what's your film about, the first thing that you need to give them is that logline. So tell us what your logline is.
4: Okay. I should have been ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> Witness Underground reveals artists born into the high-control Jehovah's Witness culture who attempt to strike a balance between seeking truth and artistic self-expression. They push the boundaries until they hit the bars of the cage they are in.
1: Uh, Excellent. Great. It's short, to the point. Uh, You know, I love that. Jason and I both watched this over the last week. Jason, I want to start with you. Tell me what you thought of the film and, you know, know, what impact did it have on you?
3: Uh, It it really, it, it, it broke my heart in, in a lot of different ways. Um, cause it's, you know, growing up Christian, it's not as constrictive as the Jehovah witness, but there was definitely, there was a part of that that really resonated with me of how being a youth and trying to find your own way and being artistic in some way and it not being really accepted by a lot of people. And, and, that it really resonated with me, the the running into the bars that they were running into, um, it 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 really sucked me in, and I I loved it, and it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I thought the same thing, uh, Jason, because I was raised in a Christian home, and in particular in the South, where it is more legalistic and uh, formulaic and um, overarching in your life. There were a lot of things that I could relate to in this film, albeit um, it is not as dramatic clearly. And like you, it broke my heart. I found myself praying for these people in the film over the last couple of days uh, because there was such a, for me, a sadness there in that uh, after they've come out, there's a real rejection of all things spiritual period which I think is sad because um, I think we're made as spiritual beings in a sense and uh, there was just a lot of hurt and pain that overshadowed anything that could have been good um but I will say the same as Jason I did feel completely engrossed in your film I think the production value is high um the story is compelling I learned, New things. It made me uh, very compassionate and, and understanding of uh, the people growing up in the Jehovah Witness um, environment. Uh, but there was also the element of that I find when I watch um, uh, anything uh, like uh, that's on. Uh, Christian Science or Scientology—that's it. You know all the Scientology coming out things. With uh, yeah, yeah, I've cannot stop watching those because you cannot get your mind around the culture and how it is so controlling and pervasive. And so there was that element there. As you heard people talk, you just can't believe that you know in your situation someone is not allowed to go to his brother's funeral because he had left the faith. I mean. Mm It just, it's just heartbreaking. So I, so big kudos to you. Uh, you, you know, it seemed like a very personal journey for you. And I think the thing that was, I didn't understand is the connection. So how did you end up with this story yourself?
4: Okay. So I was in a, I played music. I had a very, I had a very light experience with this religion where a lot of people, like the people in the film had a very strict kind of standard experience my parents like i mentioned were kind of out of the box kind of thinkers they did things their own way be a lib to their beat of their own drum kind of thing so but I, so i had the ability to play music and all my heroes were nirvana and soundgarden these old grunge bands from the 90s um, i wanted to be a rock star and i played in a band in high school so i had these friends outside of the religion which is usually off limits whereas people in the religion didn't get to have that experience so I had, I was in this band and then later I kind of left the religion, came, kind of came back for family. And then I was like, well, if, I, if I'm gonna do this I'll find a witness band. So I got all these people to play my music. So I recorded another album and um, eventually met all these other witnesses in Minneapolis. Cause it like the witness circuit, once you know, once you, they're, they're spread around and people drive and like I had friends three, four hours away and like, we'd have parties, we will drive across the whole state or from other states to just hang out for an evening or a weekend. Um, but some of these other witnesses in minneapolis and chicago and uh, madison and there's a sort of network and these uh, so i discovered these people as a witness in the religion and we were friends we partied and did all kinds of stuff and broke some small rules but got away with it Um, but eventually all these people left the religion and it was within a few years we all sort of had left the religion but i didn't really get back in touch with them until like eight or so years after having left and it was for a totally unrelated project i was working on a, on my first 48-hour film project in vietnam and i reached out to eric and cindy and they made the soundtrack in like eight hours it was amazing and um so me and my french filmmaker friend in hanoi we started asking eric to make music for corporate gigs and paid gigs and then since that relationship was sort of building in this commercial sense um, in creative sense i was like well, what if we told what if i was able to tell my story through them um, and you know, I was like, that'd be really cool because it sort of connects the music for me. Their story of playing music in the religion was like the only way I was able to keep going in that culture. But like I was able to have a way to express myself. And so they have this beautiful thing that they created that spanned multiple states.
1: So what was your journey like? If this really is a personal experience for you, what was this personal journey like for you? And um then did you write this? How did how did the writing part for me was really challenging. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your journey, how personal it was, how it affected you, and then how you were able to write
4: the story. That was really challenging. I did some. I didn't write it. I went and just did interviews, and uh, I had a friend who also had never done anything like this help me with the interviews. So we focus really on the religion and like what the religion is like and how the rules work and how the culture works um but after the end of every interview i would take back over because i would let him do the interview as someone on the outside giving the outside fresh perspective with the the goal of like the general public being the audience um so he did the the main interview and then i would come in and do a music interview about the culture of the music because and like my friend didn't even have an idea why i was doing that and why we were spending another hour interviewing people on this other seemingly unrelated topic but I knew that that was the connection piece to, and, and the the piece that made it personal. Um, and then I had like three hour interviews from five people that I just, I let it sit. I was so exhausted from the whole, it's a very emotional journey, but it was also exhausting to shoot and um, capture and the, do the whole process. So I let it sit for like six months and then I found an editor and I was like, here's a pile, here's this mountain of stuff, please sift through <laughs> it and find something interesting. Um, so she handed me like a two and a half hour cut and she's like cut it down (laughs) here's here's something to work with cut it down so i spent like two months like finding pieces that could be deleted which is always hard to do
1: (laughs) yep sacrificing your babies we've talked about that
4: yeah i did like seven sessions of that it took forever
1: (laughs) yeah that's challenging uh, so what other challenges did you face in this you know there's there's so many talk to us about some of those
4: challenges i think like i had i built up the skills to do this to do everything as like a small filmmaker doing my own doing everything the lighting the sound the cameras running two cameras my, i could do the whole thing by myself but like i found out that i mean if you if you lose if you lose batteries on one camera like i'm not able to watch that or um, if the color's not just right, or you know, if you, have, I, I would say like one of the biggest challenges is having a small crew of people that know what they're doing on set because I spent three years working on this. When my it, it's okay, but it's like kind of mediocre and a little bit amateur in some ways. So it, it only took ten days to shoot total. I would recommend wow. you know that the challenge would be to have. One of the challenges was like doing it all myself on a super super small budget. I have a total of twenty thousand dollars into this whole feature so far. It's like extreme micro budget kind of thing. Um, I would also, yeah, raise more money would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it makes everything easier.
1: It does for sure, yeah. for sure. What do you think, okay. Jason and Josh? You have other questions about you know the film and how he made it?
0: I'm just curious about um, the the personal side of it with you or with your friends, was there any pushback from family or the community when the film was being made or came out?
4: So there is some pushback. Um, I, you know, I'm expecting to be sued by this religion. They're, they're just like Scientology. They're just as rich as Scientology. One of the top 50 companies in New York city, multi-billionaire company every year. Um, and they, they litigate like they've won 48 Supreme court battles. Like, they don't like, they like to squash media and silence people and um, they're just as aggressive as the Scientologists are. So there will be pushback, but in terms of like family, um, I kind of made the decision to just go really public with it because once once they like, like they take everything away immediately. Like I have nothing else to lose, I guess in short. So it's not like, like I don't hear from them they're they're not happy that I'm making media about it, but I'm not happy that they're TV. They have TV evangelists telling people really bad ideas that sort of like trap, trap people that I love, you know. So I, there is they're like extra. I mean, I don't even know how to say this. Like they shun me, so like there's silence. So if there's there's like no more that you can take away than like silence, okay. and it's it's been silent for like ten years. So that's the entire reason why I'm making it is because this is not just my story. It's like two plus million people have this story.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's why I think it's so powerful, um, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, I, I I do think it's scary to think I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to make this expose piece of work and I could be sued and, you know, things could go beyond, uh, you know, are you worried about that situation and what will you do? Um,
4: the only thing I've learned that I can do I actually called the lawyer that you had on your show because he's on your show and that was interesting, um, Trevor. And he's, he said, <laughs> really, the, you can't stop someone from suing you, but you can just protect yourself from what that might mean. Like they can sue you, but it doesn't mean they're going to win or they even have a case or a leg to stand on. So just become an LLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about well, that's as simple good. as it can Hey guess.
1: Trevor, you were setting yeah. for Trevor. If you guys need a, a an IP lawyer, Trevor Schmidt or uh, John Scanlon, we've had both of them on. They're mm. super helpful. Uh, what was the what is the fallout gonna be from the people in your film, do you think? Uh, with their connections and or have they already sacrificed all those by coming out?
4: Yeah, there was I think they've already sacrificed everything that you can sacrifice. I mean like Ryan has not has barely had any contact with his family for like since 2005. And the same is true for Eric, Cindy. James luckily has family that have left as well. Um, so he sort of got to keep all of his relationships and then, or a lot of them. And Chad, you know, you lose all your friends. That's like an absolute given. But like family, some people get to have some. Um, okay. So I feel like- like chad and james maybe have it easier than the rest but um but yeah they sort of like especially i think probably eric and cindy because they were like at the heart of the music scene um and ryan they they were sort of like the poster children in, in minneapolis for like um in the jehovah's witness community for like what not to do because they were like they're, they're they, They rebranded this word called apostate. So like apostasy just means that you've left the religion of your childhood or your youth or your culture. But they they mean they teach that it means you have a mental disease that's contagious. So they think that if they talk to you, that you're gonna spread this disease to them. And that's yeah, all the more all the more um on the top of mind with the pandemic going on. Um but that's what they that's what they teach. I don't know that everyone believes that, but they're they're they know that if they, if they talk to these people and it comes out that they talk to these people, they could lose their, they lose their relationships they have now. And that's in the immediate world and they'll be treated how they're treating us. Hmm. So, and then in the abstract, they're also taught that if they have these relationships with people that have left the religion, they will lose their, their ticket to heaven. But their heaven isn't the heaven that Christians have. Their heaven is living on earth forever with an immortal body with other perfect people, perfect body, perfect land, whatever, Um, they call it the paradise earth. So like they they believe that you won't be able to live on earth forever and it's not worth risking that.
1: Hmm.
4: That's like their abstract fear is they're gonna lose that.
1: Yeah, it's super powerful, uh, you know, just how you kind of educate your audience about what that is and what the cost is. And that's why Jason and I both say, you know, it's really heartbreaking. So we applaud your bravery for doing that. And we do wish you the best about that. Um, Tell us what your journey has been like, the highs and lows. You know, you finished it now. Um, You know, tell us, you know, I want to ask you like what that has been like. And then uh, after that, we'll ask you what uh, what tools you've used. But start with telling us since you finished it, uh, tell us how long it was that you started and then tell us when you finished it, what you've done and where you are now
4: i like to quote Christian Taylor here. There are, <laughs> there was a dark hour of the soul. Did I get that right? Dark control, yes. dark <laughs> There's a couple of those. One was right after finishing it and just like sitting on this mountain of, of content, like, Oh, what did I do? Like, and now I have to do this crazy, crazy task of creating this movie. <laughs> um, so I let it sit and just kind of like got wrap my head around that. That was the first one. Another one was when my editor, um, handed me back the first cut, I was super excited and handed her back like a revision. But that process happened so many times. And I had, you know what it's like to rewatch your film after an edit? It's an hour and a half long. It started out being over two hours long.
1: Oh, trust me, (laughs) (laughs) it is a time consuming uh, process and you just wait. I mean, well, I mean, you've been through it, but like we are still, now that we have distribution, I had to re-watch it for the captions, like the closed captions. You have to deliver an SRT file. Like if I have to watch this one more time, I think I may kill myself.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what's funny, you know, it starts out with just talking heads and you're like, well, here's the story. Like you said, writing the film, you have to write the documentary. You have to know that this part of the story flows into that part of the story. And then this sentence is more powerful than that one. And you're rearranging all these cuts and it looks awful. And so you're just watching it, but you're really just paying attention to the story. And then the next set is like putting on B-roll or coverage footage. In your case, you had a lot of reenactment footage. which was really, really cool. Okay. Uh, I was very impressed. I had no idea you did that. Oh, um, yeah.
1: You only watched the movie last night.
4: Yeah, I watched it. It's very fresh, very top of mind. Um, yeah, I have, I have a lot to say about it. It's really okay.
1: good. We'll, ta- we'll ask you that. Um, <laughs> well, you can review it <laughs> but, for us.
4: Yeah, my Dark Knight <laughs> of the Soul was like getting getting like a full cut that's just looks awful and having to rewatch it like eight the eighth time. Like, ah, uh, like, and my editor's great, she's a great story editor, but the process took forever. And we were remote anyways because she lives in Atlanta. And I'm not, I'm not in, I was in Denver and I was living in LA when I was doing all this. So I'm in LA now, but yeah, just like how, how long will this go? Because we haven't even started putting photos and videos on top of this yet. And like, we, you know, we did this whole basically during the pandemic, we went from. Raw, rough dialogue to fully fully finished film, which is um, and one of the amazing silver linings of the pandemic that allows time to really just get head down on. I mean, I'm working full time, but there's nothing else to do, no distractions at all in life. So I was able to finish it.
1: Um, so, when did that's you? the
4: lowest when um, I put it, I started submitting, I want to submit to Sundance and, and especially South by Southwest because I feel like South by Southwest would be an amazing festival for this but it was very much a work in progress version I submitted to them. So I'm kind of really starting my run. I submitted to like a bunch of festivals that I thought were really great f- or decent fits in November that all have like spring and summer and some fall screenings. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like one, almost one full year behind you.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it's a ride. Get ready for that.
4: <laughs> yeah. I want to know all about your, your experiences with the, how the festival screenings went and like, yeah. We don't have to do it during the podcast, but I'm just really yeah, we curious. Can,
1: we can talk about that. But I mean, it's changing. The festival festival experience is changing, and I think it will continue to change. I've been very thankful to have these uh, in-person experiences that I have had, and I'm thankful I haven't gotten coronavirus even though I've been traveling. Um, mm. but and and I've actually been blessed, I think, by hardly anybody being there because um you know, it's very small, you get more individual attention. And, um, but at the same time, um, you know, there are not distributors there and there are not a Mm. lot of press there. And there's things that aren't usually at film festivals. I mean, that aren't there that usually are. So uh, there've been pluses and minuses. Um, But one other thing I wanted to ask you about was the tools that you found most useful. Talk to us about those. Cause you know, we're a remote yeah. phone company too and we've shared in the past that we use Trello and Slack and Frame.io oh. and um, mm-hmm. Google drive and um, you know, all those, those are the main tools we are using. Uh, what about you?
4: I've, I've thought about Frame.io hundreds of times during this process because I don't it's know such how you great... did a
1: film without that. <laughs> I don't. Yeah.
4: I would, we were like having a transcript of the film and we'd like, time code it and then it would change. We'd have to move the block to text using Google docs as a, you know, it's moving pieces around. I mostly organized oh. that myself. Oh, and we, then we'd gosh. have a bunch of people listen, watch them then they'd comment. And then we would do a new version, every single edit.
1: Oh, I could never. Done oh. that. uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: that's the right reaction, Josh. Jason, oh, awful. <laughs>
1: uh, that That is like my biggest, if you're going to spend money on something, Spend money on Frame.io because it's mm. just so much easier. It speeds up the whole process of communicating yeah. with collaborators. Collaborators, mm. uh, Yeah. Oh, man, that's a brutal process. <laughs>
4: <laughs> one of the first tools I use, which I think is a fabulous tool, is called Descript or Descript. And they auto transcribe content. And then it basically allows you to cut the film with the text itself. So you can, you can say like, oh, this paragraph or this one sentence or this half sentence, I'm going to copy it paste it over here and now the film is rearranged for you and that allowed me to really quickly prototype the story out and I very much built the early early cuts with that but they don't quite have it built so you can like export that into Premiere and have it linked to the raw file they've been working on that or they've been talking to work on that for like three years so
1: and how Um, much of that
4: service I think it's $12 a month. It's actually quite affordable. And their transcription service alone, I think is amazing. I use it for every corporate thing I do.
1: Yeah, that's great. I be, I used Rev, um, which works. And I think Happy Scribe is another one I used mm-hmm. at some point. But yeah, that's, I hadn't heard of Descript. That's really great.
4: I use Amara um, as well for SRT files and CC. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, it's a nonprofit, so okay. it's free. And you can, it's a collaborative tools. So you have your film up and then you can have people translate it. I use, I translate our original prototype video into like 47 languages because it's such a, our, our film has like a huge global reach, where I'd imagine for you, French and English to be the primary maybe a couple other regional languages around Europe.
1: Yeah. What, how do you spell the name of that tool? Just so people a- know.
4: A-M-A-R-A dot Amara? O-R-G, Amara. A-M-A-R-A.
1: Okay. That's a great tool to know about. What else? Do you have other ones?
4: I nice Premiere, of course, um, Google Drive for all the shared, like what we had basically Ryan, the key, the key character in the film. He's a guy who ran the music production studio. He had all the archive um, audio from cassette tape CDs. And, um, and then, so we just, he put, he put this entire archive into Drive day one. So I was just like going through that was before I even decided to make the film he dumped this archive on me and I was like, this is amazing. Yes, <laughs> I had no like, idea.
1: Yeah, it was like over
4: 30 cool. full albums of, of music that they've recorded. And I use that all, it's all soundtracks from their own music. And then another guy, James, who's a filmmaker back then, they make like student films or like amateur films, but like some shorts and it was pretty funny stuff, usually comedy goofing around. But like there was like 20, 30, I think it was about 30, pieces that he had done cut from back in the day in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s.
1: That's pretty awesome. Anyway.
3: And you were you were a part of that community, right? That's what you were talking about, kind of? Yeah, I was.
4: So, I, I moved to Minneapolis and I knew half, I knew quite a few of the people at the core of the scene. I lived with some of them. But at that point I was like, had already done like my band thing and everyone in my band had like moved away to different places, including me. So I sort of, sort of started selling my music gear. And they were kind of closed. They're like, who's this new guy? Like, we don't know if we can trust him. And they wouldn't really let me into the music scene. But I was like going to their shows and parties. And I was kind of like working on their other stuff. Like I went to camera school. So I was like busy in a way, like transitioning into more visual arts rather than audio at that point. But hmm. Yeah, yeah but I knew
1: You talked to me about some other tools that you've been using for your festival run.
4: Yes. Okay, great so i started okay so with the film festival what i really really want to do is connect with other filmmakers like yourselves and with the pandemic it's basically just not happening at all and so this is an incredible opportunity you, you guys running your podcast and us being able to comi- communicate this way but then i and i also found an agent through like my neighbors that live in la so like everyone like a stone's throw away has like a script they're working on or a short film they want to make or they're an actor even like all my neighbors work in media and so I, I just started hanging out with them because it's a pandemic. And um, I got a recommendation for an agent. So got a sales agent. But even that, I was like, he sort of isn't really going to be turned on until I get, a win- a win- I get into a festival. And then you can start talking to people at the festival. So he's not really, he's, he's helpful, but not as helpful as I need. So I decided to look online for something. I found this, um, this group called Film Festival Mastery. It's a course run by the founder of Slam Dance Film Festival, John Fitzgerald, and another guy called the Kickstarter guy, Justin Giddings, he's a film director, they both direct. And it's kind of expensive, I thought, so I like held off for a couple months and I wish I hadn't done that because they probably would have saved me the $500 just in strategy and their smart ideas. And I would put that money towards something else, but I instead submitted to like 20 festivals that are probably the, you know, don't even, not even a close fit, like long shots. Um, And, so the tools that they recommend, basically, if I I don't want to give away all their secrets, but the key ones are festival, keep it on the radar of the festival programmers. So you want to like one of the key pieces to running your festival is getting in touch with them. You write your cover letter, but then you might send an email that has the cover letter paraphrased, like, hey, this is my film. I think you this is why you should you should watch it, and thanks for watching, yeah, thanks for programming. It's I know it's a hard job, that kind of thing rephrase your cover letter, but also the other key things that they get you on basically help you build is, is like you're the sort of, excuse me, sort of branding a whole new business. It's maybe the, the worst business idea possible because you make one sale and you have one product and you're never going to do it again. <laughs> and you guys <laughs> have really expanded because you have stuff to sell and, but.
1: Yeah, but Uh, it's what I say over and over again. And this is what filmmakers don't think about. And if I could challenge the filmmakers to think about this... It is the business part that needs to be thought about first because you are making a product. And so you need to think about selling this product. Yes, you want to tell your story, but at the end of the day, you also want to get paid and you want to make another story, right? Right. And so most people think, oh, I'm going to make this movie and get discovered and then I'll be able to make more, but that's not the reality. It does happen sometimes, lightning in a bottle. But really, I would love for filmmakers to, to be retrained to think about the business and the sale of your film first. And that means who is your target market? You know, who are you selling to? How do you make that sale? You know, what's that process going to be like? And and realize that you are starting a small business and all of the same things apply to the, to starting any other business. They, they apply to you selling your film.
4: Absolutely. For sure. Some of the key things are being really active on social media finding the community that is engaged on the topic already because there's our community for everything and the way to do that is well there's a few ways to do that but you know the classic ones like just use twitter facebook and instagram twitter and facebook being primary and then you need to put something out so one of the key things that they recommend is having a stills photographer on set when you're filming because you have this amazing raw content that people love to look at, and it's easy to share, and it costs so little to have a photographer for one day or a couple of days on set, and it's so useful in spreading your, um, spreading your team and or spreading the message to the audience of your team. That and then, of course, having a real trailer, getting a trailer editor to do an actual trailer. I've cut I cut like teasers, but they're nothing compared to a legit trailer. So one of the resources that they like to give out is a guy called uh, is Rob, Robert Hamilton at trailerden.com. So that's a he I hired him. So I haven't seen his work yet. I haven't seen his version of my trailer yet, but it's coming this week. I think
1: that's I'm pretty excited to see that. How much is this tool?
4: The Well, they start they start at 500 bucks. That's a very affordable place to a group to have someone make a trailer for you. No, 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 I paid no. Film,
1: mastery. That. film mastery.
4: Wow. Oh, okay. oh, it's 500 bucks. 500 bucks. What's, what's cool is that they have like a course laid out on how to do this. So you can go back to the course and like revisit it and come back. Like I've learned a lot from it, the like 20 minute modules, and they're just really concise. Yeah. Well told, well taught. But then they do every week or every other week, they do a group class and they have a Facebook group. So I'm in a group with like 140 plus directors and producers on Facebook and we chat and um, connect. And I, like one of them use one of the composed, like Eric in my film, he composes for my corporate stuff. Um, so I, you know, pass, I gave him, gave her this one other filmmaker, him as a contact and she, he soundtracked her film for her. And it's awesome. It sounds great. So like, it's cool to like have the, it's sort of like the film fest things you want at a film festival. We get to have that in the group every single day, if you want it. And everyone's very active,
1: it's wow, really that's- cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, that is a highlight of these film festivals is meeting other film festivals. I remember the first time when I met Tim uh, at the Chagrin Doc Fest. I forget his last name at the moment, but... I started talking to him and after 10 minutes I was like I found my people like right. oh my goodness this is like my people. That's exactly uh, the feeling. Yeah. yeah. So that's great that you found that uh you know in my situation I was so fortunate to have David Patterson stumble into my life and the great thing about David is you know it didn't cost me money for him and in fact he ended up uh coming on and supporting us a little bit uh not only you know because of his previous festival experience we were given waivers, uh, but then he also helped financially a a little bit. And the plus for David is now he has a producer credit on his IMDb. So there are times where you can partner with another producer that's more experienced. And truthfully, I would be open to that. I mean, I've gotten to the place now where I could be a consulting producer or any sort of producer and bring a lot to the table to help other people uh, with their film festival run or stuff like that. So that's also another thing for filmmakers to consider, which is just bringing on somebody a little more experienced. They get the producer credit on IMDb and they're actively working, you know?
4: Yeah, I think that would be very valuable. I've asked a lot of friends that are sort of somewhere in the film industry. A lot of them just have no experience at all. And I think just having a few people, even just one that has some good experience to come on your team is really wise. Yeah. For One of the things I learned from this podcast was your editor saying we shouldn't have this opening title screen with the director and the editor. And like, it's like 30 seconds or 45 seconds. You guys moved it to the end. I remember that wow. being an episode and I got to see that last night. And as soon as I heard that on the podcast, I was like, we moved, we created one of those in the final hour. And like I like it, but does the is it gonna resonate with the audience? And and I love the idea of just putting it at the end. Just get straight into the story immediately.
1: Yeah, it's so crazy because I um Helen Patton, um, she's in our film. Yes, it's General George Patton's uh granddaughter. Uh I, you know, she was helping me and she said, I'm going to go send this to John. And I forget his name at the moment, uh, but, you know, he's an L.A. documentary film producer. We sent it to him and like he he like he's like, she needs to do this one thing and it would be great. And so I actually called him to talk to him about this. And I loved our opening so much, like it was beautiful and our names are there. And he's like, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about that. (laughs) Take that off because people want to get right into the story. And Mm -hmm. that's actually a relatively new storytelling device. Because if you watch older documentaries or sometimes a lot of films, they still Mm -hmm. do it that way. So removing all of that and putting it at the end is is a relatively new thing. But it does make a huge difference just to Mm -hmm. jump right into the story. Our culture now has gotten accustomed to that. They don't care really who makes it. They just want to hear the story, right? Mm-hmm. That's cool that you learned that. That's a neat little trick. Well, so we're, we're getting closer to the end. I'd like to see if Josh and Jason have any more uh, questions. And then after that, I want to get to uh, ed- advice that you'd like to give other filmmakers. And then I'd love for you to tell us a review of our film. So, yeah. Sounds okay. Good. So Josh, Jason.
0: I just wanted to ask, and, uh, is there a, a website or somewhere we can go? where they can learn more about you or your film or where they can see the upcoming trailer or something like that.
4: Yes. So everything's everything you just mentioned is available on witnessunderground.com. So the full, full two words spelled out witnessunderground.com.
1: And there so, uh, I saw that you had a podcast there now and you have a mm-hmm. blog and you have a Patreon page. So kudos to you.
4: Yeah. Patreon. I started a while back, but I've definitely been inspired by, the Girl Who War Freedom and Documentary First podcast. Like there's so many things you're doing. I was like, you know what? I should just do all those things. Like, why not? I want to do all those things. Yeah, Sounds fun. And I think it's the reach that you get. Like, obviously, I would never have probably heard of your project if I hadn't if you didn't have the doc, uh, the podcast. So, yeah. It's, yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's a pretty, I'm filling it out. <laughs> definitely <laughs> so definitely going to do it. I love your updates. I think it's amazing to have the festival updates.
1: Ah, good. Glad you like that. So uh, what about a festival update for you? Have you gotten into any festivals yet?
4: I have I have one. I can't say probably and I probably shouldn't say what it is, but I got shortlisted from about 200 festivals or uh, submissions down to the top 30 uh, feature films at this one. Pretty, pretty important documentary. Uh, not, I think it's I think it's a documentary film festival, regional awesome. one in the awesome. States.
1: Um, exactly.
4: So I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. That was
4: so it. validating to have a festival programmer say like, no, of all these other ones, we're keeping this one. Yeah. They might, they only screen 10 a, a year. but
1: Right. And wow. it's down lower because of the pandemic. But I remember yeah. when the first festival acceptance I got was the Sugar and Doc Fest and I bawled my eyes out. I, I thought <laughs> we would never be accepted to a film festival. And uh, it was very overwhelming. You're right. It was
4: great. I sent it to them immediately after hearing that uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you get it.
4: Yeah, me too. Uh, so
1: Jason, what about you? You got any other questions for Scott?
3: Yeah. So we've talked a lot about your current project. I'm curious, do you have a next one planned? Are you going to do another one? What What's your thinking right now?
4: I, I think I'm not quite ready to take on another huge project. Um, I am thinking about it but I don't have a story that is, has been driving me quite like this one has. Like I, this one was like a burning ember that I I like eventually became a huge raging fire that had to happen. And um, I don't quite have a story in mind. How about you as a team?
1: Yeah, so Jason and Josh, I was going to ask you guys what's going on with, you know, for your own updates. So why don't you, can you give us anything about what's going on with the Movie Proposal podcast or what's going on with uh, your project, Jason?
0: I'll go first because it's the least interesting. Uh, We're still still waiting to do our 100th episode, so we haven't done that one yet. So that's coming Hopefully tomorrow.
1: <laughs> do you know what uh, what's going to be on that episode?
0: Uh, it's it's the film that we're talking about. It's called In and of Itself. It's uh, Frank Oz directed a, uh, a live, uh, what do you call it, uh, off Broadway one man show that ran for a year and a half. And so this is the film version of it, or it's not the film version. It, it, they recorded it, and so you know, it's as it's, it's as if you're getting to watch it in the audience. It's on Hulu, highly recommend it in and of itself. Uh, Actually, Steve Colbert, executive producer, a lot of strange cameos in it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) I'm just laughing because...
3: I haven't watched it yet. It's, it's my thing I have to do tonight before we record the episode tomorrow. So (laughs) I'm excited to, to, to see what it is.
1: And what's your something borrowed something blue? I have no idea. Oh, I guess,
0: I guess I'm going to have to turn
1: yeah. in. Uh, is yeah. Your- uh,
0: well, yeah. If I knew, I wouldn't tell you, but I'll be honest, I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, the movie proposal, is that uh, on YouTube? Do you guys video that or is it just on podcast platforms?
0: It's just on podcast. However, the, ri- the first, I don't know, tw- 10, 20 of them are on YouTube. So... Yeah. If you want to go see those, they're still there.
3: But I guess there isn't really a reason we're not doing video on those because we're just doing it over Zoom. So we could do it, but we just haven't. <laughs> let's do it, Jason. Why not? Uh, yeah, just another thing audience. on my plate. Why not? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it
1: tomorrow. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, what about you, Jason? Can you give us an update?
3: Yeah. So I, I can't go super specific because we're still in the like figuring it out phase, um, but we've kind of decided to just make. Uh, a short animated mini Um So we're not exactly um, completely lined up on what it's going to be and how it's going to be done yet. Um, but we're going to just make something and just put it out online just you know little episodes of a thing. So we're kind of in the writing process kind of in the development process. We still don't we're still figuring out art and things like that. so we're we're very early in, in pre-production here but it's it's gonna be fun.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and so my project, uh, there's really two things happening right now. Uh, one is this project that Hunter and Ben and I and a couple other people are working on to try to figure out how to make things easier for independent filmmakers to fund their films and to distribute their films. And we've been doing a lot of industry research, preparing our pitch to go before uh, some pretty wealthy tech investors. Um, you know, to pitch that, uh, It's I'm super excited about the idea Uh, I think uh, filmmakers are going to be thrilled with it and I'm very, we have some hunters come up with something that is not being done anywhere that I think is really industry or shaking. So I'm super excited about that. And then um we're still working on the brave Dutch. Uh it's still sort of a passion of mine. Um, and I'm very excited about it. We've brought on a writer uh who's work who I've been working with to try to divide it up into eight or ten um mini series. And I do think the series kind of is the way to go these days. Um I've mentioned that before uh, just from my distri- distribution mm-hmm. conversations and festival conversations and what people are buying and looking for the end mm-hmm. users. Um, so we're looking to do the brave Dutch as a mini, a documentary docudrama mini series. And um so we're working on that on a regular basis. Although yesterday I had a call with an investor uh, who used to be a military official in France who was in charge of the Southern landings, uh, just like David Chapman was in charge of the D-Day Normandy landings. And he's like, have you ever thought about doing a, a film about that? And I was like, oh yes, cause I have, I've thought about it. The Southern landings nobody knows about, it's super interesting. And I'm like, do you wanna fund it? Cause I could do it tomorrow. <laughs> (laughs) I've got all the resources and a team. Let's go. Uh, So uh, that really started me thinking about maybe I could find a way to do that story as well. So those -hmm. things are kind of burning on my mind. And uh,
4: anyway,
1: so uh, give us a review of The Girl Who Wore Freedom.
4: Okay. I thought the interviews were all incredibly authentic and um, drew me in completely. I absolutely loved hearing from these people. I didn't want to turn away or look away. And like they're just lovely people in general. I thought what Flo is doing is incredible. Yeah. If, like what an incredible person, what an incredible project. There's only so much time left for that. Um. And then like I watched like a couple months ago, I watched the teaser or trailer you guys had done, and got super emotional. And I was like thinking about why that was. And the entire movie is such a roller coaster of emotions for me. I'm 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 guessing other people have some kind of Similar experience. Yeah, it's
1: fair. People tell me that all the time.
4: It's it. Not a lot of films do that. So that was very special. I think it related to my. I'd met um, my grandpa's brother was on D-Day. Mm. So I was like really um, kept thinking about that. <clears throat> what he went through. I only met him one time, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We we get that a lot. I mean, it really brings up a lot of memories. And I remember writing the script. This is why I said, I mean, the script was super hard for me because uh, I really wanted there to be an emotional journey. I didn't want it to just be one or two notes. And, um, you know, if you haven't seen the film, we do start out with some some curiosity, and then we go into pain and problems. And then uh, we kind of come out of that grief and start build towards the gratitude and the joy. And then there's the tenderness. And then sort of, we leave you on an uplifted note. And what's fascinating about all the screenings that we did early on uh, was that I realized when we were at the two hour mark, it was too much of an emotional roller coaster, And Mm -hmm. I realized that audience members, I mean, if I was going to you know, give a piece of advice to filmmakers, I would say, learn this right away. There is a finite amount of emotional capacity that we want to spend in an hour and a half period. Also along with that, people have to go to the bathroom. They get hot or they get cold. (laughs) And so when you're making a film, you really need to take the viewer into consideration. And so if you tax them too much emotionally, they stop watching. If you make it too long and they have to go to the bathroom, they may lose interest. So you really do need to think about what you're putting your audience member through. And um, and and so I just think that's a very important thing when you're writing and making a film is to mm-hmm. consider those things. So we try to that, pull it back. Th-
4: yeah. One thing that helped me cut pieces of my film out was that I had my Patreon, which is... More of like short bits and little pieces of, I call it a series, but it's not exactly a series. It's like little short stories. And I knew that I could always use any of those pieces I cut out on this other platform.
1: Yeah, that does help. We've done yeah. the same thing. That's why we've had yeah. deleted scenes and we use them on social media. So,
4: yeah, it's perfect.
1: Okay, so uh, last thing three pieces of advice, real quickly, that you would give other filmmakers.
4: Uh, so I wrote a couple ideas down. One is just to go shoot your idea. And just try it. Like try to go make a trailer for your for your film. Cause that'll a help you crowdfund if you want it. It'll help you raise money in general. It'll help bring awareness to your project early on. And it'll also help you make sure you have an idea that that is strong. You can get feedback quickly on. You won't just be filming and filming and filming and never have anything to show. And maybe you have been making, you know, big mistakes early or something. Um, so and then you also you'll learn to run sound. You learn to run cameras. You learn to edit. You should always edit your own things that you shoot. And then hopefully you'll find people to do all these things for you. And then you'll build, you need to like work on projects with people and build a collaborative team that like builds your relationships. Absolutely. Um, another one is find the people online who are already engaged on this topic and connect with them early because you wanna engage with these people and talk to them and get to know who they are and what, they're, what they care about because they're gonna probably be the people that will help spread your film around the world or to whatever you know, greater audience, because people might call them influencers, but just you know, any human being that is writing or talking about these things. And then um, what I've learned the hard way is to organize your film festival strategy early, know what film festivals you wanna get into, learn how that whole system works, um, how to participate in the fullest extent and, and how to market your film for that purpose because you're gonna to have to build the synopsis, write the, you know, write the log line, get a poster, get a trailer and um, start spreading the idea around. It's better to do that way before the festival run. Better, better to do it before you think your film is done. Don't wait till you finish your film to start all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's why we hired a, pu- a publicist. Going back to Acacia um, and Morgan Harris, um, you know, you brought on the film festival strategy, and they've helped you there. I ended up, you know, paying, choosing to pay a publicist, uh, which was twenty five hundred a month, which is an expensive, you know, thing. But they then package, help you package your product, to then sell to the festivals, then to get in. And we're at a twenty percent festival rate still, uh, which I think is a very healthy festival rate. Um, and, you know, but we did too. tailor our film festivals to where we had a high percentage chance to get in. Um, and what you're talking about is super important. Those are three awesome tips. And, uh, we really appreciate having you on. This has been super uh, encouraging and, uh, you know, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Um, yeah,
4: it's been a pleasure when you mentioned me and my email on the podcast, I was, well, I was taking a walk, go on the podcast. I was like. She's reading what I wrote. Just the other day, right? That was amazing. <laughs> I stopped in my tracks.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> um, yeah. That's, we were. You were actually <laughs> the first filmmaker that reached out to us that said, "Hey, I'm doing this. You've you've been really influential. I've learned a lot from you." Actually, Elise Jaffe was the first one. I get that wrong. Sorry, Elise. You were the second yeah. one, but I kind of yeah. knew Elise. Like I had a connection yeah. with Sandy Gordon, and so. But you were the the total random person that wrote <laughs> me. Uh, so if, asking
4: for someone to write. Just write us on social media. Write us an email. So it's like, all right, I'll write you an email.
1: Yeah. So again, if you are a filmmaker and you want to come and talk to me about your experience and you want to share your film, write me at Christian at Normandy Stories or, you know, we're on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, You can reach out to us there. Also, if you have questions, uh, we're going to start doing a mailbag issue. So you can uh, send your questions and we'll try to cover those uh, online. So, uh thank you so much for coming. Um, one last plug for donations. We really are uh, we really are in desperate need of donations right now. So if anybody can afford uh, you know every little bit helps the slash donate uh, If you want to pick up any items uh, from our store and help us spread the word about our film, you can do that. Uh, And then right now there's really only one way to watch our film. And that is uh, through the Flathead Lake International Cinema Fest. You'll be able to watch it through March 4th and um, you know, it'll cost you $5 just to watch our film. So that's a great way to see it and support that film festival. We unfortunately don't get any uh, help from that, but at least you'll get to see the film. And, I highly recommend and-
4: it. You should pay those $5 and watch it. It's incredible. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Uh, and then I'm so excited to let everybody know, uh, the next time I come to you, I'll be in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're going to be at the Beaufort International Film Fest, and I'm hoping it's really warm there. We're nominated for the duty and honor category, so we're really hoping for another win. And um, I'll be there for a whole week. Uh, so I'll I'll be sort of reporting from that. I'm going to take my son Jacob since I've lost my son Hunter <laughs> to go with me, and uh, I think we're going to try a new thing. I think we're going to try to vlog this uh, film festival. I brought a GoPro camera yesterday. Uh, they've got this new one that's come out. So if you're looking for some really inexpensive equipment, go to gro- GoPro.com right now. You can get the brand new camera for uh, in a package. Like you can get uh, just a a bunch of different stuff. Normally it's super expensive, but you can get it for like three fifty. Uh, and I ended up getting a light and a microphone and a tripod, but, uh, we're going to try vlogging and, uh, see how that goes. So, and Uh, yeah, yes. I
3: I have one more question. Yeah. Uh, I I wasn't abundantly clear at the front end of the episode is the Patreon for the girl who wore freedom. Is that a thing yet? Is that what's going on with that?
1: Yeah. So we have halfway filled out our profile. Um, there was a listener. His name is Jim and Jim. I really appreciate this. He wrote to me, uh, you know, he found me through Facebook and wrote to me and said, you know what, I'm a listener. I really would love to support you in your creative endeavors. You should think about a Patreon. And that really inspired me. He actually was the one that said, you should get Josh and Jason to talk about their projects and what they're doing. Cause I'm interested in that too. Um, so, uh, thank you, Jim, for your suggestions. We're halfway done with building our Patreon. We have to figure out the, um, the reward levels. So we're that's the last thing. So we hope in the next uh, two weeks, we'll get it launched.
4: I highly recommend Patreon. And um, I didn't plug my thing, but you can support Witness Underground by going to XJWDOC, XJWDOC. That's how we have originally branded it. But we have a bunch of stories on there. There's some free that are on YouTube. You can watch through Patreon or on YouTube, uh, XJW Documentary on YouTube. But Patreon's an incredible pro- uh, platform and I definitely will support you when you launch, when you're ready. Okay.
1: And I will actually go and support you. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you coming on. And we will love to check back in with you. Uh, we'll have you I back on to let us know how things go. So keep in touch with me.
4: And when I build I mine, like, I'll, I'll get you on mine. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: just correct. like the idea of you two passing the same $5 bill back yeah. and forth.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and giving you a little percentage to Patreon. <laughs> uh, maybe we
1: should just send each other money. Maybe. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Josh, what have you
0: learned? Every time you say that, I want to start singing the VeggieTales song. I know, um, it
1: just popped into <laughs> my head. Do you remember how it goes?
0: Yeah, but I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, we want to end on a high note. Okay? So <laughs> we'll just we'll give kudos to VeggieTales. We all know what we're talking about and we'll move on. But no, I appreciate you, Scott, being here. It's 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 great to see how Christian's film... Uh, and what she has learned has helped you. And, and I hope that it's, it's, it's doing this for other filmmakers. And so like Christian said, please write in and let us know uh, how it's impacting uh, everyone else out there. So, on, and on that note, I will say thank you for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it.
1: Bye everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhoworefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhoworefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.